Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number Chicago. 312. Welcome aboard. Uh, with me today is Tim Maluli and Brendan Maluli, who was born in Chicago. It's true. I was. So I think uh, we wanted to start with two pieces that kind of talked about the same thing from Christine Benz, who works for Morningstar, and I'm pretty sure they are located in Chicago also. as well. Uh, so that's appropriate. Wow. The first article that she wrote was titled, Is It Time to Rebalance? She looked at with what the market's done this year, you know, obviously dropped a lot in the first quarter and then bounced right back. For investors, would it would now be a good time to rebalance? Look at the allocation that you have between stocks and bonds and see if you need to make any changes based on what's gone on this year. Could also be looking at the mix within, you know, you could do it across right. your asset classes, you could do it within your asset classes, meaning like within stocks have large caps done better than small caps or vice versa and what has that done to the mix how far has it strayed from where you began and and what you uh, set out to do and i just think the conversation surrounding rebalancing is is a lot healthier than it's it's basically rebalancing is market timing in a sense because you're making a call to sell stocks buy bonds vice versa or sell something buy something at a, at a certain point in time however uh, it's it's rules-based market timing, and so I feel like it's less destructive than a decision to say, hey, I want to sell all my stocks, or hey, uh, since I got all out, I need to get all back in now. You're making these incremental moves around the edges to try to stay on a track that you uh, laid out at the beginning. And so I, I think it's just, it's a more constructive way to think about making some adjustments to your portfolio because there are, there are parameters set out at the beginning. So it's controlled. Yeah. I think it, c- it can also help kind of scratch an itch for an investor if they want to be, you know, doing something during this market environment. Like, oh, I feel like I, sh- I should be doing something. Well, having rules and, and doing a rebalancing is making moves in your account. Uh, it's just doing it in a smarter way. And Christine, throughout the two articles that she wrote was saying how obviously this is more of a risk management tool than a return maximizing tool because it's almost counterintuitive to trying to maximize your returns because you're selling what has performed better and you know grown in a larger scale in the account and it's kind of scaling that back but when I thought about it I thought it could actually end up helping the performance if it optimizes the behavior in the account you know what I mean? Also, over the longer term, I think mean reversion will be helpful. So I think when you rebalance in the short term, like out of something that's done well, it may not be a positive over the short term for your performance, but over the life cycle of an investor, I think it'll be good because you're you're just, I mean, you're admitting that you're not going to nail it, but you're saying like, hey, this thing's had a nice run and, and this thing's kind of lagged a bit. We believe in them both because we have them in our portfolio. So why don't we just bring them back to where we uh, originally uh, put them out? And Christine's article, um, the first one about is it time to rebalance, she, as you had alluded to, uh, she looked at a 50-50 portfolio, whether it's stocks versus bonds or value versus growth or U.S. versus non-U.S., 
And then she said, hey, if you rebalance like once a year, here's where you were or uh, three years or five years or even longer. So just to kind of put things in perspective, if you had a 50-50 a stock bond portfolio in June of a year ago, and you were looking to rebalance now, you're probably somewhere around 48% in stocks and 52% in bonds. The uh, value versus growth thing I thought was was really pretty interesting because growth has done really well, value has not of late. A year ago, if you had put 50% into growth and 50% into value, now the growth side is 56%. Pretty big jump there. Uh, and so these are good rules to have. Some people want to go in on an annual basis, a same day every year. Some people say, hey, when it gets to this point, this threshold, we're going to go in and rebalance. It's really kind of up to the advisor and the client what works best for them. Yeah, I mean, we, we went into our portfolios earlier this year and, and rebalanced because I mean, if you if you waited a full year on a 50-50 stock bond for, portfolio, it hasn't budged much, meaning it's 48-52. But at the end of March, beginning of April, we saw our 50-50 portfolios get to almost 40-60, meaning 40% right. stocks, just because of how much the market had gone down. We use more of a threshold-based uh, operation here, and so we saw that drift in the portfolio, and that's that's significant enough to make make a move and so we use that as an opportunity to buy some uh, buy some stocks and and sell some bonds to just bring people back to the risk levels that that we set out in their portfolios so properly rebalancing on a on a schedule like that uh, helps people stay in line when drops in the market happen because they're allocated the way that they should be in terms of risk. Like the example that Christine gave, if you hadn't rebalanced your 50-50 stock portfolio in 10 years, what you thought might have been a 50-50 stock portfolio was actually 69.31 stocks bonds. And then something like what happens in March happens, you're like, why is my account going down so much? I thought it was a 50-50 account, but you haven't rebalanced and it's actually closer to 70-30, so you're catching more of the brunt on the downside than you probably wanted to. Yeah, I think the, the hard part of rebalancing is actually doing it. We speak to a lot of individual investors, folks that are trying to manage the account on their own, and a lot of reasons why they come to us is because they say, you know, I really, I should have done this and I didn't, or it felt really uncomfortable doing it, so I didn't do it. Uh, I know that I probably had a good opportunity to rebalance, uh, you know, in April or even in May or even in June, but I didn't do it because I'm nervous, because I'm scared, because I'm afraid of making a bad decision. Yeah, or, or the other one, like Tim said, because somebody got greedy and, and didn't rebalance their conservative portfolio after a number of up years. I think it's more likely that case people just get greedy. no one's going to want to sell out of their stocks while stocks are going up things are going well i'll, I'll know i'll know when yeah the tides yeah. are how many turn. times have we heard that yeah. you <laughs> know where and then the problem is now it is time to rebalance and they don't want to do it right because, because when they, the market's going down then it's like the deer in the headlights moment yeah. you're like all right i should have done this already i didn't do it now like i'm frozen i can't i can't do anything right 
Well, that kind of spilled over into uh, another article that Christine Benz wrote on Morningstar this week, five ways that rebalancing can benefit your retirement plan. Not necessarily, you know, those were the reasons for a retirement plan, which we'll get into in a minute, but, you know, rebalancing in general makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I mean, she also said how how much value someone puts on rebalancing really does, in her opinion, depend on what stage of life you're in. For younger investors, it might not be as important to rebalance. Uh, You might be able to let things go for a little bit. But for people that are in retirement or closing in on retirement, you want to make sure that your allocation is exactly in line with where it should be. So I think staying on top of uh, rebalancing is more important for people in retirement. Yeah, you're just, I mean, you're, you're managing risk by rebalancing. And so especially if you're relying on your portfolio, you know, you can refill the side of the portfolio, meaning, meaning bonds to make sure that money is there for you as you're going to need it, because I'm sure that that guided how you crafted that stock bond mix to begin with. But I think you've got like two two purposes there. The practical one is making sure that the cash flow that you're going to need from the portfolio is there and coming from something like bonds that are more stable so you don't have to time sale of stock, you know, when when you need money, meaning like regardless of what the market's doing, you're going to have to pay your bills on a monthly basis. So you don't want to have to make a decision like in March or April of this year where your stocks are down, you got to sell them while they're down. And to be clear, what we're talking about is taking the amount of money that you need from the bond side of the portfolio because it's a, normally a lot less volatile. It's not living off the interest. And we've done a, a video uh, or two about that right. uh, as well. So yeah, you're right. We want to have something that's fairly stable in value that's going to give us some ballast in the account, but also provide a source for cash when we when we need to make withdrawals. Yeah, so that's, I mean, there's the practical reason, which is, you know, you're going to need income from the portfolio, either you're, you're you know, collecting income from it now or, or you're going too soon. Uh, the other one is, is like the more emotional reason. Uh, reason. And so if you're approaching or in retirement, uh, just the volatility of your portfolio, not only is that important to uh, withdrawals because obviously if you're taking money from a portfolio uh, and selling stocks while they're down from it, that doesn't bode well for the future of uh, the portfolio in terms of longevity. But but also like emotionally, like you just don't want to see your uh, your your money moving around that much uh, when you are later on in life and you you don't have you know as as much of a runway as somebody else might who's still accumulating. Yeah, definitely, it'll make you feel uncomfortable watching that happen. Right. For sure. I think in the bigger picture, we do a lot of planning work for clients in terms of working on their cash flow and their balance sheet. So we get an idea of what their cash flow needs may be over the period of time that we can see into the future. It's really important. I mean, one of the most cringeworthy things that I would hear early on in my career was a client sending in a check and they would say, I'm not gonna need this money for a while, or I'm not gonna need this money at all. And then we find out a year down the road or two years down the road, hey, I I need that money back or I need some of that money. I, I wish that I was back then doing what we're doing now in terms of understanding how this money that we manage for clients fits in with the overall picture. Yeah, and I think 
you know, having a, a plan and sticking to that asset allocation too, like you know what the dollars are for, rebalancing plays right into that. And same thing throughout retirement, there are things that come up along the way in retirement plans, like Christine mentioned, it can help with some of the tax obligations that you're going to have in retirement rebalancing. You know, you can set things aside in your rebalance to help cover your RMD for that year. Uh, so you don't have to worry about, like Brendan said, selling your stocks potentially to cover an RMD at maybe an inopportune time during the year or something like that. Uh, so there were a couple other reasons other than just you know, the reducing the risk and staying on the asset allocation that Christine covered uh, as well for the importance of rebalancing. And we'll link to the uh, these articles in the show notes. I, I just wonder off the top of my head, how many people over the last couple of years said, I feel stupid having money sitting in the bank doing nothing when I can buy utility stocks or some other mutual fund that's going to throw off some dividends or some income that I can use. And they may or may not realize the level of risk that they're taking by doing something like that. I mean, that's that's what we talked about in the video this week, too. And it's it's definitely not the smartest strategy for income or retirement income, something that's steady and reliable because those things can disappear pretty quickly. And Brendan, you pointed out an article that uh, was in the Wall Street Journal this week about folks who are 65 and older who in the last couple of months have just been dumping stocks because they need the money. I've got to believe that some of these folks originally probably would have had a better allocation towards uh, some fixed income in their account. But for whatever reason, now they've tipped the scales and they had too much money in stocks. And then they saw the market going down and they freaked out, sold stocks at probably the worst point that they could and said, I just don't have 10 or 15 years to make this money back. Or what if the market goes down, you know, another 40%? Yeah, you know, and not not to be like a total jerk or anything, but like I saw the quote in there about the 10 or 15 years thing. And right. that guy was 62 years old. He does have 10 or 15 years for that money to continue growing. It's it's just make, making sure that it's right size, meaning like, yeah, you, you're going to need to pay the bills over the next three, four, five years, 10 years. You're going to have to make sure that that money's there. And maybe that money shouldn't have been at risk if this dude was... 100% in stocks or something like that. Like it, it sounded like the guy was basically all in stocks and then made a decision to just pull the plug. 62 years old, I mean, you can you can do the math if you don't want to have your money invested in anything or something super short term. Like you take the amount of money you have and figure out how much money you're going to need each year from it and divide it into the total. And if it doesn't throw off something that's 20 or 30 if you if you don't have 20 or 30 times your current income not even not even banking on any inflation whatsoever then you're not in a position to be 100% out of the market because you're going to need some growth over that that period of time so going all out even if it feels good now just means you're going to have to get back in at a at a certain point later and this guy isn't alone because i saw stats from fidelity floating around this week that said between F february and may uh, 25. It was 25 to 30 percent of people aged 60 to 70 sold all of their equity, all of it. That's nuts. all. That's nuts. A quarter to a third of everybody on Fidelity's platform. I mean, and this, 
I saw people like quoting it and people were like, there's no way that that's true. And Fidelity commented on it and said, that's, that's the data they have. And it's from their platform, which is, I mean, pretty huge. They have tons of 401k assets and they're, they're a huge custodian out there. So this isn't like some little drop in the bucket and 15% of all investors sold sold all of their equity. So like the older cohort there is kind of skewing the numbers, but there were people under age 60 included in this too that decided they were getting all out. And so, yeah, maybe some of these people were, you know, opening brokerage accounts with money that should have been in the bank. But like this, this largely could have just been like people in their 401ks and IRAs and stuff too, which I mean, I don't know. The thing about these people that are taking all of their money out of stocks, I think at some point they're going to realize that they do need to have some money in stocks and then they're not going to know when to get back in. They, There was another example of some guy in Illinois who said, he was like, I know in general that you know markets always go up or go up eventually at, at some point over the long run. But then he also said that he didn't put any money back to work from the great financial crisis through today because he couldn't find he couldn't find a good time to put money to work. That's ten. And, that's ten years right. out out of the market. And that just speaks to all of these people who take all of their money out and then try and put it all back in or get back in at some point. It's, well, it's like it's, it's like so much harder than you think. The podcast last week we talked about the the chart from Ed Gardini that had several reasons every single year since two thousand nine for uh, re- reasons you could have been scared, reasons the market went down temporarily. So yeah, there's there's all to, yeah. to, to think that like we're gonna just get through all the turmoil that we've experienced on the front half of 2020 and like there's gonna be smooth sailing or like blue skies ahead where it's just gonna feel great to put everything back to work. That's fantasy land, that's never going to happen. If we ever do reach a point where there's no fear and people are just dumping their money into the market, I would take that as a a contrarian signal to say stuff is too good right now. If it feels great to put all your money to work, something is wrong. It's not going to feel great, but you have to do it because unless you're going to save 30 times your income need for retirement, which is just unfeasible for most people, then I don't see how you're going to survive with a portfolio that doesn't have any growth in it. I think it just speaks to having a diversified portfolio, like Christine was saying, between stocks and bonds. Uh, but I know there was an article in Market Watch this week with Susie Orman where she said, in quotes, you'd have to be crazy to have money in bonds right now. I think you'd uh, have to be crazy to listen to this woman. Yeah. I mean, and she's a personal finance, quote unquote, expert. I use that term loosely, but like, geez, I that is dangerous commentary to throw out there. Like that's suggesting people should have all of their money in stocks. Like that's how I think some people will read that. Blanket statements, it's yeah. silly. Like it's just, she made another blanket statement about how she wouldn't be putting any money into like a traditional IRA at this point and would do like all Roth. And these are all things that are situationally dependent. Like for most for most people, you gotta sit down and like run the numbers on like what the tax savings would be for a traditional 401k versus uh, her her reason was like she she thinks taxes have to go up in the future. So great, maybe she has a crystal ball that we're all unaware of. But you you just you have to put all of these questions into your own personal situation and figure out what's going to work for you. There are a ton of reasons why you might do traditional and Roth or one or the other, depending. And the same goes for your allocation to stocks and bonds. I mean, just because somebody is 
super old or super young, it doesn't necessarily mean that like they have to fit the conventional uh, wisdom. Like some people could have investment, some, somebody could be our age and have two separate investment accounts. One is for their retirement where they're pretty much all stocks because they're in their 30s. And then the the other account could be for something like, you know, in the next 10 years. And maybe that's like super conservative and looks like a, re- a retiree's portfolio. Like in, blanket statements are ridiculous. I, just, I yeah. honestly think we should just hire whoever is the copywriter for Susie Orman because this is how she gets press. Yeah. They, she writes these ridiculous headlines and people are like, she can't be this crazy to say something like this, but it gets people to click on the article. This is what we've been telling people for years. Right. And then you sound, you, you, you know, I sound like the nerd saying, well, it's actually more complicated than that. It's like, well, but it is. It you is. know, but sound bites, sound bites don't uh, don't give you space to have any nuance whatsoever, and it's just know. a shame because people, there are everyday people out there who like take what she says very seriously. It's yeah. the gospel that's like, that's for like, some people. That's the only financial advice that they yeah, like they, her, they see a headline on Market Watch and current like, Dave yeah. Ramsey too. Did you guys read the article in the Wall Street Journal about the repo man? The repo man is basically out of business. This is the guy who would go around and repossess cars. And they it was a, actually a pretty good article where it talked about how the repo man is out of business, the bankruptcy lawyer is out of business, the used car market is pretty much ground to a halt because of people getting these extensions where they don't have to pay on their car loans. Uh, in fact, there was another article in the Wall Street Journal, Americans skip millions of loan payments as virus takes its toll. And it talked about how students are, or people who've graduated from college and have student loans are getting a free pass on this. You know, you're getting a free pass for a few months on not paying your car loans. The other side of the market that people don't even talk about, like the repo man, normally during a recession, he'd be printing money right now. The bankruptcy lawyer would have a line out the door. The used car guy would be advertising everywhere. They have nothing going on because we've interfered with the normal market cycle by saying, hey, you can pass on making these payments for months i'm okay with that to people, be honest these are people that you know and i know i know everybody has to eat and run a business but like these are people that profit on other people's misery more or less so like yeah i don't that's fine i someone's, think it's, someone's got to do it someone's got to do that work yeah it's not indefinite like these yeah. things where where people can not pay on loans and things like that 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 has an end date and so like i don't know i don't know what the solution is let all these people default on all of their debt, is that better for the economy at large or is it better to have some of these businesses not booming like they might have been because things are bad for people out there? It's a good question. I mean, my my understanding with student loans is that if you have continued to make the payments, they're all, all that money that's going in is being applied towards your principal, no interest. And so you're actually getting a little bit ahead if you're making the payments. Yeah, I think I when I read that article, I was like, you know, people are not paying or they're in deferment on their student loans, their car loans, stuff like that for temporarily a few months. And like, OK, that I'm OK with that as long as they know that the loans aren't being forgiven and that these months are being tacked on to, to the, the end. end of the loan. If 
that's the case and they know that and they need the money now to, you know, live and remain in their house or eat food. Um, people aren't paying their mortgages either. So, yeah. like, yeah, it's... If we could this, do a, do a have, whole podcast on jobs that. either. Yeah. I, don't yeah. think, like, I don't think people are just doing this for fun. No. I yeah. think is what Tim's it's getting survival. at. Like if, if they're yeah. doing it to survive, then, like, so be it. Then and that's if, fine. And if that means the repo man can't come take their house or their car immediately, I think I'm fine with that, given the state of things right now in this country. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Lively conversation for episode 312. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will catch up with you on the next episode.